Welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge, the fiercely nonpartisan discussion that seeks policy solutions to issues of the day. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. Hello, and welcome to The Common Bridge. This is Season 2, Episode 1. This is Richard Helpy, your host. My last episode was called Wildfires of the Vanities. That was recorded as the president entered Walter Reed Hospital to be treated for COVID-19. Since then, he's been discharged and is apparently recovered, or is he? Also, law enforcement has uncovered a plot by radicals to kidnap or kill a sitting governor. More documents have been declassified by the Director of National Intelligence, which throws more light into what happened leading up to the 2016 election. Last night, mostly peaceful protesters in Portland tore down statues of Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt before destroying the entrance to the Oregon Historical Society and then smashing storefronts downtown. The vice presidential debate occurred, and these are the people next in line for a 74- or 77-year-old president, and the presidential debate scheduled for this week has been canceled. I'm sure that's to the relief of many people. I'm a very optimistic person, and I'm always looking for a solution. The Common Bridge was established to spur dialogue and to find solutions. I liken it to trying to get a bridge across a river or a chasm. And if you build a very strong support on the right bank, even if there's a very strong support on the left bank, that no one can cross the bridge or the chasm until the two sides come together and link in the middle some place in some way. And thanks to our guests and our listeners, I'm getting some clarity how we can achieve that. So today's going to be a little bit different podcast, and I do want to assure our regular listeners that we are lining up expert guests for issues of the day. They'll appear in future episodes. But in this political season, I'm going to use some of the events to exercise common bridge principles. Now, no matter who you are or what your political leanings are, this podcast is going to make you uncomfortable. And remember, that is our brand promise. If you are a dyed-in-the-wool partisan of whatever stripe, there's lots of places you can go to get ideology and demagoguery. I'm not going to ask anyone to change their view on anything. I'm just going to ask our listeners to try to heal the nation's wounds, make this a better place by employing a couple practices. First of all is this, accept that the news reporting is narrative-driven and it's attempting to influence your opinion. So when you see or hear or read a story, resist the urge to respond emotionally. Ask yourself, what's the rest of the story? Or perhaps, what would the other side say? Then wait before you react. Find out. You'll be amazed at how nearly everything cools down as a full picture emerges. And generally that takes two to five days, but you'll be surprised at how quick things leave the headlines. Number two, ask your friends, your family, acquaintances to exercise their intellect by holding two different thoughts at the same time. Now, this does not mean 
giving equal weight to one view or the other. I don't think that works. But it means understanding that taking a position or giving a compliment to one person does not necessarily mean that one has to agree with a whole raft of other things. And I'm going to get into some examples of that today. So we are going to review the vice presidential debate probably a little more lightly than I anticipated. I'm going to look back over the year a little bit and always with a solution. I've got, I think, a voting solution. I may want to, uh, uh, as the Congress says, revise and uh, extend my remarks on that later, but it's getting close. So I'm going to go there. So first of all, a look back at the environment. And my basic thesis for this podcast is that both parties have ceased to do the work that we elect them to do and that we have a reporting industry that is inflaming hysteria. Look, the Republican Party is shot. Donald Trump destroyed the establishment of the party. He made it very difficult for the centrist wing or the liberal part of that party to exist any longer. And look at it this way. There were 17 candidates, including Donald Trump, that sought the nomination for president in 2016 from the Republicans. Today, none of those people are in a leadership position at all. Two did join the administration. There are seven that are just gone from the public scene. There's a couple that have become mild pundits, and there are still four sitting senators with various levels of support or resistance to Donald Trump. And of course, John Kasich, who was a very attractive candidate, has not only endorsed Joe Biden, but he spoke at the Democratic National Convention. The Democrats, they're still reeling from their establishment loss in 2016. And they have a bigger fight ahead with the left wing of their party. And they're getting amnesia over what they said about Joe Biden. And he's paired up with a senator who has gained just 2% of the vote in their primary. And they have to contend with the way they've conducted themselves since 2016. Just a few examples. The entire Russian collusion narrative. As the facts roll out, it's getting worse. And there had to be someone that knew. The Kavanaugh hearings, which should have been a solemn occasion. The impeachment fiasco, still haven't heard from the so-called whistleblower, if one indeed exists. The continual person that's going to, quote, bring down Donald Trump, just to name a couple, Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenetti, Michael Cohen, John Bolton, uh, it goes on. And of course, the unanswered questions about the urban riots, wanting to convince people that Antifa is just an idea and nothing else. Best organized idea I've seen in my lifetime. Now let's move on to the news reporting. Look, we know it's inflammatory. It's pathetic. People can understand that they see buildings burning and it's mostly peaceful that that's not the case. There's been deliberate pieces delivered that are playing or preying upon the lack of knowledge of the readership. But here's the pattern. It's predictable. It's a rush to judgment. So the first story comes out. It's a narrative about whatever the publication backs. Outrage ensues. Now more information comes out. But when that new information comes out, it appears that questioning the original narrative means supporting, quote, the other side versus seeking a full understanding. People want to get rooted in that original false narrative. Again, well, I implore you, waited a couple days. Donald Trump is a one-man wrecking crew. He treats everything he does and touches as a scene on a television program. It's dangerous. And I've said often, 
I don't believe he's qualified for the presidency. I don't think he has shown a keen interest in becoming qualified. And I believe he has massive personal problems that cause him to be ineffective when there are so many opportunities to be effective. Now, Joe Biden, again, holding that second thought, could rise to the occasion rather than sink to the level we've seen. By way of example, court packing is court packing. Joe Biden calling the clearly constitutional process to fill an open seat unconstitutional is beyond the pale. It tears down the very government he wants to lead. A better option for Joe is to say, look, the court won't make a difference. We are going to pass constitutionally sound laws in the legislature, and as president, I will sign them into law. And when you see the hysteria and fear-mongering going on about, oh, this law is going to change, that law is going to change, the only logical conclusion is there's been legislating from the bench. But I think a guy with Biden's experience in the government, he could get us back on a track to legislate in the legislature. We also move to what's happening in the streets of American cities. And we've had in this past week uh, scolding from various members of the Democratic Party saying that the mostly peaceful demonstrations are something nobody can oppose because it would be racist. And look, that's just gaslighting. No one, I mean, no one opposes peaceful protest. I've been looking for people to oppose peaceful protest. I can't find it. All thinking people, though, do oppose arson, traffic blocking, assault, looting, property destruction, and the other definitions of riot. It's an insult to our intelligence that we can't tell the difference. And also, would a healer say those are mostly peaceful protesters while chaos reigns and not be able to say the vast majority of law enforcement officers are trying to do an honest job to protect and to serve? People know the difference between good policing and bad cops. We can all agree that truly peaceful protests and good law enforcement officers are things to celebrate and violent riots and bad cops things to prosecute. I believe people who love and support our president agree with this and people who loathe and oppose our president agree with this. Okay, the Civil War. As you know, I've talked about civil discussion versus civil war. We had some great discussions on this. I'm wondering If I missed the start of it, a couple things on this. As you know, law enforcement has uncovered a plot to kidnap and or kill the governor of the state of Michigan. I don't know what the combined IQ of this group is. I'm not sure that it broke 200 together. Part of their plan to disable an electric fence was to urinate on it. Okay, I'm just making that up. But there was this plot. The governor raced to the microphone to condemn this, saying this is Donald Trump's doing. I watched social media pick that up, that, quote, Trumpers are making this happen. And then it turns out that one of the fellows named Brandon Caserta is an anarchist, actually hates Trump. He's on video calling President Trump a tyrant. And it was just the news media. And then, you know, Governor Whitmer rushing to a conclusion. Another, Daniel Harris, attended a Black Lives Matter protest in June, and he said he was upset about the killing of George Floyd and police 
violence. Again, wait to see what comes out in the news. And we all need to understand whether it's coming from the right or it's coming from the left. Ultimately, it all ends up in anarchy. And it doesn't matter if it was a right-wing coup or a left-wing coup, but we end up with tyranny. Now, when I talked about our episodes about civil discussion or civil war, I get comments that go like this. Well, yeah, we want civil discussion, but I hate Donald Trump so much that I'm not going to behave civilly. Trump's the symptom. He's not the cause. No one wanted a president who behaves like this, and we need an exit ramp from this. And potentially the president's behavior in the first debate is going to be the thing that turns the tide. But I don't see the opposition party coming in with a realistic program at this point, and indeed having a sitting governor say they're not going to count the votes in a timely way, and having extremist groups saying that they're not going to respect the Electoral College and urging Joe Biden not to concede is not fixing the problem. You'll hear people say it's okay to hate Trump and all the supporters because he's a racist and a white supremacist. That's horrible. Yes, he did say sure when he was asked would he condemn the white group in his um, the one debate. And then he said, yeah, they need to stand down. That's so far so good. And then he said stand by, which was a ridiculous inflammatory statement. In April 2019, this was following Charlottesville, I looked up whether the president had ever condemned white supremacy. And I did a quick search. And here's what I found. British Broadcasting System, BBC, Time Magazine, CNBC, Face the Nation, CBS News, Business Insider, The Telegraph, Euro News, New Jersey News, Fox News, NBC News, The Voice of America, CNN, Bloomberg, Huffington Post, and others were all reporting that President Trump has denounced white supremacism, KKK, racism in general, neo-Nazis, and white nationalists. He's called them evil, repugnant, criminals and thugs, and other words that can only be condemnation. And I was surprised how readily available all the reports of President Trump condemning white hate groups actually was, and the breadth of the outlets making the reports, and you can look it up yourself. I told you this is going to make you uncomfortable today, so I'm going to keep going. I also looked up quotes from Joe Biden, even without his most recent blast, that blacks were a monolithic group that all must think and vote the same way. He said, quote, unless we do something about busing and desegregation, my children are going to grow up in a jungle. The jungle being a racial jungle with tensions having built so high, it's going to explode at some point. We have to make a move on this. When he met Senator Barack Obama in February of 2007, he goes, you got the first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean and a nice looking guy. I mean, that's a storybook, man. The first one, really. Okay. Um, you know, you've heard him say it during this campaign, we should challenge students in schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Anyway, and of course, you know, challenging saying you ain't black to a predominant podcaster. So neither one of these guys has got the high moral ground here. And I'm going to get to a discussion about racism in just a minute. So on to holding two thoughts in your head. 
again, number one, Donald Trump does not have the temperament or the seriousness we deserve in a president. Also, based on what we know today by the FBI's own records and testimony, 100% of the Russian disinformation and the smear that Donald Trump was colluding with Russia all originated with the Clinton campaign. Holding the FBI and intelligence agencies accountable does not suggest that Donald Trump is more qualified to be president. Not liking Trump does not mean the FBI and the Clinton campaign are innocent. I believe Hillary Clinton was confident in her FBI interviews because she knew, as has now been proven, that the FBI is compromised. She was smug in her testimonies to Congress because the evidence had been buried and destroyed. Don't take my word for it. July of 2016, the New York Times reported that the Clinton campaigns had an emerging theme of linking Trump to Russia. And remember how hard they've looked only to come up empty. Around that same time, Clinton and the Democratic National Committee hired Fusion GPS, who then hired Christopher Steele to make the fake dossier. And just in recent weeks, NPR has reported that FBI agent had doubts about the legitimacy of the investigation into Michael Flynn. Again, we can hold the FBI, the intelligence agencies, accountable and still understand that we have a president that we shouldn't have. All right, it also, by the way, follows that it doesn't necessarily mean that then-President Barack Obama had anything to do with it. He could be just as surprised, and perhaps that explains his lukewarm endorsement for Hillary Clinton. Again, continuing on the theme of everyone's going to be more uncomfortable, hope you're still listening with us. It is possible to hold two thoughts in your head. There is racism in this country. It takes many forms. Hopefully, awareness will be the next steps in eradication of all forms forever. But make no mistake, black men and women have suffered in this country. During my lifetime, Jim Crow laws had to be wiped out. I've personally witnessed too many incidents and heard from too many friends who have experienced discrimination. And I challenge any person to find one black person who has never experienced different treatment based on the color of their skin. We have a problem. It's got a different form than it may have had 25 years ago and 50 years ago and certainly 100 years ago. But make no mistake, ignoring it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. At the same time, there's the second thought to hold. We are not divided by race as much as we are divided otherwise. I know many lily white people who either did not apply themselves or did not save for their old age despite having good jobs, who now decry the United States as uncaring. And I know many people of all races who are entrepreneurs, responsible middle-income earners and savers that are political conservatives, black men and black women who have risked their capital and worked long hours to prosper. There is a pathway despite the discrimination they face. And yes, that is why I am such a staunch supporter of education, real education about mathematics, engineering, accounting, history, the Constitution. So what can we do here? 
We want to condemn violence and lawbreaking, no matter who is doing it. Insist that those elected do their jobs and vote. Make sure your voice is heard. And only vote if you honestly back that candidate. So by way of example, if you don't like either of the major party presidential candidates, and I don't, you can leave it blank. You can do a write-in. You can vote for a third party. Going down the ballot, you can do the same thing across the board, get informed, and cast your ballot. I know that one vote I am going to cast will be to end 183 years of systemic racism. Uh, We have never had a person of color as a senator in the state of Michigan. I think that needs to change, and that's one place that I am going to, to vote. So forgive my partisanship there, if that is partisanship. Okay, quick recap of the vice presidential debate. And uh, after the debacle of the presidential debate, I thought it was a much better job. thought the moderator uh, was great. Uh, I like what she said at the beginning. You know, there's always more to say, but we will move on and we will have a respectful exchange. And I think for most of that, they did a pretty good job. I loved it when the little eighth grader gave examples of the parties attacking each other. And I, I thought that was terrific. Look, Mike Pence is so much better at this than his bosses, and I'm grateful for Mike Pence. It's an extremely difficult job, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to have a memoir in about 10 years. Kamala Harris is, of course, a, a attractive uh, candidate, though I think this job is a little bigger than she is at the moment. Uh, the one difference between Kamala Harris and Donald Trump is, is I think while neither of them really know the job at this point, I think that Kamala Harris actually wants to learn it and seems to want to apply herself, see where she goes. So some of the things that I thought that Senator Harris did, she did a good pivot to what she's seen as senator. I think that gave her some qualification. She um, answered the question on the health record and then pivoted to Donald Trump's tax record. And by the way, that has been misreported. She wanted to call into question things Donald Trump hadn't done, like the infrastructure investment. She talked about investing in education. I thought she pinned Vice President Pence back on the Affordable Care Act. I thought she did a good job of landing on her talking points, quoting science and Trump not knowing science, and then jumping to the China trade deal. I thought she showed a lot of really true compassion when talking about the Kayla Mueller family. She had a a Good answer on the Supreme Court. About 4 million people have already voted. And she was very, very well rehearsed on the Lincoln of 1864. Of course, we've now learned that that turned out not to be 100% true, but it was a great line. Uh, And also that the circuit court, none of the 50 lifetime appointments were black. Right in her wheelhouse, the uh, Bureau of Taylor and the pivot to George Floyd. I thought she had some good things about national registry for police who break the law, getting rid of private prisons and cash bail, probably one of those I can agree with, and then a national ban on chokeholds. And of course, we've heard from officers about that. Uh, She also said that Joe Biden will work across the aisle. I certainly hope if Joe Biden becomes the 46th president of the United States that that uh, will continue and that the left wing of his party doesn't uh, drag us over there. Things I thought that Mike Pence did well, he did talk calmly and factually about what the administration did vis-a-vis the pandemic, talked about suspending all travel from China, 
uh, when there were only five cases in the United States. I think he could have gone further and said that the administration was going to be damned if they do, damned if they didn't. If they closed things more quickly, they would have been called dictators for doing that. But, you know, that's politics. He talked about the 115 million tests, the billions of supplies, the uh, dramatic work done developing a vaccine. It was a great line saying that the Biden plan looks a lot like plagiarism uh, as it comes to further controlling the virus. And I think that what Vice President Pence did is really carve out the problem with this administration. What the administration did versus what they said really varies. And what was done is actually pretty good. He talked about uh, you know the number of 2.2 million deaths avoided, put things in context, that the swine flu had 60 million cases and the national stockpile was empty. I thought he could have done a better job and talking about the uh, prior pandemic control was about trying to isolate regions. And this was the first time we've had to do something this broad. I think that the vice president did a good job at quantifying the increases in taxes that would come. I think setting down a uh, energy independence versus the environmental hit from fracking. He called out about the new Green Deal. He I think was very articulate on the improvements that we've made in the trade war with China. He was very aggressive about the voting record that Senator Harris had, and I wish she'd get out more and talk about that. He talked about NATO contributing more to their own defense, about the embassy being moved in Israel, about destroying the caliphate, and about bringing the killer of Kayla Miller to justice. He also schooled her well, I think, on the Supreme Court and called the question on packing the court, which we still do not have an answer on. I think he had a good pivot from compassion with George Floyd to the riots and looting, and also about the rate of incarceration for blacks and a great pivot to behavior the last three years. So that's a quick rundown. Now, things uh, on the negative side for Senator Harris. I thought she looked a little too gleeful when hearing about the new coronavirus cases in the first question. I think she was knocked back on the question about the new Green Deal. She never really answered that. Uh, It really said nothing about what Joe Biden would do differently. If it was a drinking game with every mention of coronavirus, I would have uh, been hammered 10 minutes into that. She uh, really keep coming up with the mantra, 210,000 deaths, and just to paraphrase Joe Biden, it's kind of like the Democrats have this thing. It's a, it's a noun, a verb, and 210,000 deaths. Did not want to talk about what it was like to be vice president. She kind of just drifted into identity politics. Uh, she was clearly rocked by the fracking position. And then uh, I thought it was a weak defense of her record. Said, I won't be lectured when the vice president rattled off how she had voted. Another thing I think I would put in the negative column for her, I think is a missed opportunity she got into a policy debate, which arguably is the better ground for the current administration. I think she should have gone after the president's personality. And I mean, a simple question like, Mr. Vice President, how can you support the antics of this president, his constantly shifting position, his showmanship approach to the job? I think that would have been a lot stronger for her. In the negative column for Vice President Pence, he beat the trust American people answer over and over again, never answered the question about having the conversation about stepping into the Oval Office, 
the fly. I got to mention that some people think flies are attracted to feces. Some think they're attracted to blueberry pie at a picnic. So I don't know, you make the call. He didn't know that the Senate was not in session for Abraham Lincoln's appointment, that as soon as the Senate did come into session, he nominated a justice. A couple of opportunities missed. He did not bring up the poor little girl in pigtails that Joe Biden was bussing every place to call that out. And he never put the statistics about the deaths in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Michigan into context. That remains the, the largest group of deaths is the elderly people in skilled nursing facilities in those states by direct order of their governors. So if John Trump loses this election, he can blame one person. That would be himself being an egocentric bully, wears thin opportunity after opportunity to behave differently. He doesn't because he cannot, apparently, not having another debate. I think it was a bad move on his part. Uh, but if he loses this, he can blame one person. If Joe Biden loses, he can blame the Democratic Party who put him in this position. Um, I do feel for the man. I think he's in an extremely difficult position. I'm sure every fiber of his being is that he wants to get out there and campaign. Uh, I know that his events have been very, very poorly attended comically. So, but he's kind of just waiting for the other guy to make a mistake. And, you know, that calls into question his stamina and abilities to uh, conduct. So I'm going to wrap up here. This is episode one of season two of The Common Bridge. Again, we are looking to have dialogue. We are a great country filled with generous and compassionate people. We deserve a government that is as good as us. And I just implore my listeners to continue to reject the divisive politics. Let those that you elect know that. Quit consuming the inflammatory and hysteria mongering news sources. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Common Bridge. This is Rich Helpy signing off. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.